Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 6. And listen to what Paul is telling us. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm. Being confident of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. Get a pen and paper out, or you can get your cell phones out, and I need everybody to write something down, okay? Go ahead and get everything out, something that you're writing with. And I want you to think about a project in your life, whether it's a physical project or a personal goal, and I want you to write down that project that you have not yet completed. Somebody said just one. You can write multiple down if you want. Write down a project in your life that you have not yet completed. All right. Now, once you have that written down, here's what I want you to think about. What would it take to finish it? Because all of us probably, how many of us, raise your hand, how many of us actually have a project that we still have yet to finish? I'm I'm vulnerable with you. I'm going to tell you what mine is. Yeah, the vast majority have a project that needs to be finished. Now think about what your project is and what it would take to finish it. Now, for me, I'm going to be honest with you for a second. For my, my project is my wife's Jeep. Now, I, 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 when I first started buying Jeeps, we've owned a lot of them. I was super eager and excited because Jeeps, I thought, were awesome. However, I have grown to, i got to be careful in preaching. What's the word? Hate? No, there's no better word than that. Yeah, hate. I have grown to hate Jeeps because it seems like every time I work on them, they break. Now, it's not necessarily the Jeep's fault. Do you, everyone in here know what Jeep stands for? Just empty every pocket is what Jeeps stand for, all right? Or just expect expensive parts. And so when we bought that Jeep, we were expecting to build this thing up into a monster mud bug. We wanted to turn this thing into an off-road beast. And in order to do that, in order for us to do that, as you, if you've seen her driving it, you've noticed it looks like factory. Um, that's because every time I touch it, it breaks. And she has told me, you're not allowed to touch it anymore. Um, y- yeah. So anyway, what it would take to do that is, is we need uh, time. Uh, we need money because vehicles are expensive, especially in our, in our current market. Um, all the parts, just expensive, expensive parts. And um, I, I, I need, this isn't we, this isn't me. I need knowledge on how to do it. However, what I have learned is I'm not going to gain that knowledge, nor am I ever going to touch it again. So I need more time and more money in order to get that Jeep to be the big tires, the lift kit, and the bigger engine, all that fun stuff. Um, in other words, what I have figured out is... It'll, it'll probably never be that way. I just, I'm not going to look that direction unless she does it. If, I, if that's my project, I'll probably never finish it. Now, if you're honest, if you look at your project, you may be thinking the same thing, right? I probably will never get around to finishing this project. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise your hand and say, yeah, pastor, that's me. I'll confess it because what do we, we have tendencies to kind of lie to ourselves sometimes. I'm going to get around to it, right? However, all of us in our lives, we have projects that may or may not get finished. And interestingly, did you know that God, our creator, the creator of the universe, has a project that's not finished yet? Did you guys know that? 
he does. You know what that project is? It's you and I. God's not done with us yet, ladies and gentlemen. And, and for those of us who call ourselves Christians, that, that should be refreshing, right? That should be exciting news because I, raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to call, I'm going to call you guys out again for just a minute. Raise your hand if you in here are perfect. No one brave enough to say, yeah, I'm perfect. Especially you men that are sitting next to your wives. I definitely wasn't expecting you to raise your hand because you're going to get that swift elbow in the ribs, right? None of us are perfect, are we? We all have flaws. We all have things that need work. Every one of us do. And especially when we're looking into our spiritual lives, we see the areas that we struggle, right? And we see the, I need to change this. I've been dealing with this habit, this sin, this addiction for years, and I need to change it. But here's the hope. I always tell you the bad news first, right? I'm not going to give you bad news first today. I want to give you guys the hope, and that is God's not done with you yet. Turn to somebody and say, God's not done with you. All right, now tell them, God's not done with me. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the truth that God has revealed here in this, in this one verse, we're going to stay in this one verse, and we're going to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to read the passages to you. But this one verse, the truth that God has revealed here is something every Christian needs to understand. And if you are a true Christian today, if you say, I am a Christian, I have accepted Jesus Christ into my life, it is because God began, listen to me, you are a Christian today because God began and is continuing a mighty work in your life. God has began and is continuing to work in your life. He is not done with you yet. And I know that sometimes we get frustrated, right? We, we, we look at ourselves like we look at our projects. And we think, I want to be here, yet I'm not here yet, so something must be wrong. No, God's still working on you. Well, I, I'm not the perfect Christian. I keep messing up. I'm not going to say it's okay, but what I'm going to say is God's not done with you yet. God's going to pull you out of that. You see, the truth is, the work is absolutely, this is what's so amazing, because you and I, you and I, we may never finish those projects, right? Let's just be honest. How many of us are actually going to finish those projects that we wrote down? I, I, I love my wife dearly, and I want her to have that Jeep, but unless I buy the Jeep that way, it's never going to get done, all right? And how many of you can actually confess and say, that project will probably never get done? It'll, it's going to sit in the kitchen. It's going to sit in the bedroom. I might sit out back and collect grass. But, but, but that's you and I, right? Because we're, we're imperfect people. However, God's project, it is guaranteed to turn out successful because it's God's work, not man. That's hope, ladies and gentlemen. It's guaranteed to turn out successful because it's God's work, not my work. God who called you will be faithful to complete the work that he began in you. And so in this verse, here's what we're going to notice. There are four things in this verse that, four principles about the good work that he has begun in our life as a Christian. Four things that Paul tells us about in this verse. This one verse, it's not very long, okay? In this one verse, Paul tells us four things that you and I need to understand. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, start writing now. The first is this, the author of the work. This is key. This is, this is so important. The author of the work. Listen, I'm going to read this verse a lot to you. And, and what I want you guys to do is I'm going to read it a lot to you. Go home and memorize this verse. All right? Put it on your mirror. Stick it on your dashboard. Wherever you need to do, memorize this verse because this verse is full of so much hope for us, knowing that God is not done with us. Listen to what it says. Being confident of this. Paul, Paul is confident of this. He, he knows this to be true. Listen to what he says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on 
to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And who's he talking about? Who is the, who is the he? Well, of course, it's God himself. It, it, it's interesting because Paul does not refer to the work that he has done in Philippi. The book Philippians was written to the church in Philippi, and, and, and Paul was a missionary who was sent by God to preach the gospel in Philippi. And Paul, he did a, he did a great work. Paul, Paul did really good work here. I mean, I mean Paul, he, he established this church. He founded this church. He built it up. He discipled these people. He coached these people. I mean, I mean, Paul was loved by these people. And, and he could have sat there and said, look at the work that I did. He could have stand in the pulpit and say, look at what I've done. But that's not what Paul does. That, that's not at all what he does. When he writes this letter, he does not refer at all to the work that he had done. Instead, it's so amazing to listen to Paul or, or to read Paul's letters. Because he says, it is God working through me. It's, God, it's the author of the work. It's God, ladies and gentlemen. He says, it's, I didn't do this. The preacher didn't do this. The church didn't do this. It was God working through us. That's what Paul is saying here. In Acts chapter 14, when Paul and, and Barnabas returned from their missionary journey, they gathered the church together in Antioch, and, and not to give an account for what they had done, but he wanted to tell them, Paul and Barnabas, they, he, they wanted the people to know what God had done. That's what we need to be testifying about. That's what we need to be talking about. Isn't the work that you and I are doing? Because if we go back to those lists, go back to, that, go back to your project, you and I, we honestly, we fail quite frequently. God doesn't. And so Paul in Acts chapter 14 says, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through him, and he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It wasn't Paul that did those things. It was God, God who began the work in them. Salvation is a work of God. And it's not surprising that, that, that Paul should emphasize the salvation is all about God and or all of God's work and not of man, but Paul never forgot where God had brought him from. You guys realize that, right? Paul never forgot that God reached down and saved him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, I thank, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though, listen, listen to what he says here, even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Paul, Paul is describing himself there, is it? Think about that. Paul says, I'm not the author of the work. Paul says, yeah, sure, we've done some good things with our hands, but the ultimate work, I'm not the author of it. God is. God's the one that's done this, not me. He says, I'm, I am a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out abundantly on me, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, I am a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. And why was he a blasphemer? Well, he adamantly spoke against Jesus and denied him as Messiah. If you go back before he was Paul and he was Saul and he was, he was living against the church, living against God, I mean, he did everything he could to denounce the name of Jesus Christ. He wanted to destroy it. So he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor, a ravenous enemy against the faith. He arrested and imprisoned men and women. Some people actually argue whether or not he actually killed anybody, but he did give his stamp of approval to it. He said, it's okay to kill them. So he imprisoned them and had them killed. He tried to get them to renounce their faith. And then it says that he was a violent man. And interesting, the word that he uses here is, I think it's uh, hubris is how you say it. It means a man of insolent and brutal violence. 
Think about that. That, that th- th- This guy named Paul, I mean, I took, a, I took an entire uh, master's level class on just Paul. I mean, this man, we study his teachings, we study his life, and we idolize Paul. But the reality is, he was a, a, a man of insolent and brutal violence. Think about what he was capable of. That's who we're idolizing. And Paul recognized, he says, I'm not perfect. It says that he delighted in inflicting pain on other people. But then, listen to this, the author of the work steps in. The author steps in. Our God steps in. Paul says, I'm not perfect. I understand that, but my God is perfect. And he says, God steps in on his way to Damascus, and the Lord suddenly appeared to him. And in Acts chapter 9, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It wasn't Paul's plan to become a Christian. It wasn't Paul's plan to become one of the founding fathers of the modern church, to become somebody that we idolize. I mean, I'm always, te- I, Paul's probably one of my favorite characters of the Bible. I absolutely love his story. I mean, he, he persevered so much. Yeah, he wasn't perfect and he owned it. We idolize Paul, but Paul idolized Jesus. Paul said, it's not me. I'm not the author of this work. God is. God is the author of the work. He says in 1 Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, he says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, how about you do this? Stop idolizing people and idolize our God. Because we're not the authors of the work. Our Lord and Savior is the author of the work. That's who we need to be looking to. But he says, the author of the work, having having working in me, there's something going on in my life. And so the second point is this, is the nature of the work. So the author of the work is God our Father, the creator of the universe. But then the nature of the work is this. The key word in understanding the second principle is the word in. He who began, look, look at the verse, he who began a good work in you. When Paul is talking, what, what, what Paul is talking about here is what the Bible elsewhere calls being born from above or, or as, we, as we so commonly say, being born again. It's a work in you. A Christian is not someone who simply changed his ways or changed her ways and decided to reform their life and, and be a little bit better, more religious, right? That, that's not what a Christian is. It's not like a New Year's resolution. To, this year, I'm going to be a Christian. No, it, it, it's not just something I decided to do. A Christian is someone in whom God has done a work, and that is so radical it can be described as being born again. It's our second birth. It's when God completely changes who we are. Sometimes the the Bible refers to this change as being raised from the dead or being transformed into a new creation. Ephesians chapter 2 says, God, who is rich in mercy, listen to this, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Even though we were dead, he made us alive in Christ. He brought us back to life. We were dead in, in our sins. And Ephesians says he brought us back to life. There was a work in us that brought life into us. 
We were just dead people walking. And he says, I, brought, I did a work in you, and I brought you back to life. And 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Becoming a Christian is the deepest and most wonderful change a person can ever know. Because it's a change of the heart. It is not this superficial or, or temporary change. It is a powerful work of God in the very center of our being. You see, the author of the work is God, but the nature of the work is you and I, our hearts being changed. Not by our work, because listen, we are imperfect people. We can't change our hearts, but God can. God can. And he says the nature of the work is I'm going to change you from the inside out. John Wesley called it the life of God in the, in the soul of man. And the prophet Ezekiel describes it beautifully in Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So what does God do? God does a heart transplant, a spiritual heart transplant. He removes our hard old heart and gives us a new one. That's the nature of the work. The author of the work is God, and he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to bring you back to life. And what God begins in us, he's going to continue in us. He began a good work in you, and it will carry on unto completion. We started out as nothing. You and I were born into sin. We started out as nothing, but the author of the work says, I have a mission for you. I have a goal for you, and this is where I want to take you, but you have to allow me to work in you in order for that to happen. One of the, one of the greatest illustrations of this that I, that I read many years ago, it says a bar of steel, back then <laughs> when this was written, it says a bar of steel is worth $5. That's it. A bar of steel is worth $5. However, if that steel was made into ordinary horseshoes, it is then worth $10. Then it says that that same $5 bar is manufactured into needles. The value raises to $350. That same $5 bar of steel is now worth $350. But it says this, if it is made into delicate springs for expensive watches, listen to this, it is then worth $250,000. That $5 bar of steel, as long as it's brought through the process, can end up being worth $250,000. It then continues and says, the same bar of steel is made more valuable by being passed through one blast furnace after another and again and again, hammered and manipulated, beaten and pounded and finished and polished until it is ready for the delicate tasks. Ladies and gentlemen, we, not be, we may not be able to understand it now, but in the future we will see how these things in our life are part of the process that God is continually doing, good work that he began in our lives. He is trying to make us more valuable in him. He's trying to transform us. He has an ultimate purpose in the work that he is doing. And what is the purpose of the work? Well, that brings us to point number three. So the author of the work is God. The nature of the work is that he is doing work in us. And the third thing is the purpose of the work. And Paul gives us the answer. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until, listen to this, the day of Christ Jesus. There's the purpose of the work. So what's he doing? 
Well, we are being prepared for the day of Christ Jesus. And what's the day of Christ Jesus? Well, it's the great day when the Son of God will return to the earth with all his power and glory. It is the day of God's final triumph over evil. And when Christ comes, he, we will share in his glory. Listen to what Paul describes, or how Paul describes this coming glory in Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. It says, the purpose of the work is yet to come. It is preparing you for the day of Christ Jesus. I'm trying to prepare you for the day to come. I'm preparing something in you, he says. The picture draw that Paul draws in Romans 8 is of a whole creation craning its neck, waiting for the eager expectation for the glorious day when Christ returns and the sons of God are revealed. At a wedding, when you go to a wedding, what happens is when the bride comes down the aisle, what does everybody do? We turn and look, right? We want to see the bride coming down and all of her beauty and all of her radiance and everyone cranes their neck to look at her. Well, ladies and gentlemen, did you know that you and I are the bride of Christ? The church is the bride of Christ, and the church is not a building, ladies and gentlemen. The church is you and I, and we are the bride of Christ, and you are being prepared now for the day of Jesus Christ when he comes as the bridegroom to claim his chosen bride. We are being prepared for the day that Jesus returns, and on that day, all the universe will stand in awe of what the grace of God has done. Amen? That's what we're being prepared for. The author of the work is God. The nature of the work is to do, it, it, it is to do a miraculous change of heart for us, in us. And the purpose of the work is to prepare us for the day that he returns. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that, that right now he is making the church holy, cleansing her by the washing of the word in order to present her to himself as a radiant church. Listen to this, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish. But listen to this, holy and blameless. And are we allowing him to work in us to make us holy and blameless? Or are we resisting it? Nothing God permits in your life is accidental without design. He says, I am doing a work in you to make you holy and blameless. Allow me to work. He says, it may, listen to me, in order for that steel to become that of those expensive springs, it's got to go through the fire. It has to go through the refining process. It may not be comfortable for you and I, but the work that he's doing, he is shaping you and preparing you for the glorious future that he has in mind when the whole universe will stand in awe at the workmanship of God. That's what God is doing. By the grace of God, we are designed to shine like the sun in the glory of the day that our Christ Jesus comes. Amen, church. The author of the work is God. The nature of the work is in us. It's a spiritual heart transplant. The purpose of the work is preparing us for that day. He is doing everything he can to prepare the church to make, them, to make us holy and blameless. And finally is the certainty of the work. There's no doubt about it, says Paul. Listen to this. Paul says, I am confident of this. He says, I'm certain about it. He says, I am confident that he who began a work, good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm confident of this. It's going to happen. His confidence is based on the character of God himself. He never starts a work and leaves it unfinished. He doesn't, he doesn't start working on something and leave it in the backyard for let it to rot. 
That's not what God does. That would go be completely contradiction or be a complete contradiction of his character. God is not like you and I. He doesn't leave projects unfinished. He is going to finish them. And thank God that my hope is in Christ Jesus, not my own power. Amen. He's going to finish the project. It rests upon the fact that God will never have to start or, or, or would, would never start a project in me if he did not decide to finish it. God says, or, or Paul tells us, you can have confidence that God is going to complete the work. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 5. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by life. And what Paul means by that, he says, if Christ died for you when you were still his enemy and a rebel and hated him, how much more then will God keep and sustain you and finish the work that he began? If he died for you while you still hated him and you were still living against him, then when you are living for him, how much more is he going to sustain you? How much more is he going to take care of you? The character of God guarantees the completion of the work. During the, the 1700s, a revival spread through New England. It was called the, the Great Awakening. And critics insisted that it had nothing to do, it, it was nothing more than, than a man-made religious phenomenon based on emotions and mass hysteria. They said, God's not actually moving, it's just a bunch of people getting together and causing chaos. But to defend this revival as genuine work of God, theologian Jonathan Edwards wrote a book in 1746 titled Religious Affections, Affections excuse me. and in the book he addressed the question, how can we know when a person's conversion is genuine? So in other words, like Paul says, I am confident of this. How, how can you and I have the certainty of the work? How, how can you and I have the same confidence that Paul has? Well, he agreed with the critics in one sense that Satan imitates spiritual experiences. He does. Making people think that they are converted just because they prayed a prayer or had these emotional feelings. And Edward feared that some of his members of his own congregation who thought they were saved would discover on the day of judgment, that they were eternally lost. But Edwards also believed that many conversions are genuine. And so he asked the question, what are the marks of true conversion? How can I be certain of this? And Jonathan Edwards argued that the main sign of true conversion is this, a change in our affections. That is a change in our desires. When we are converted, God implants a new love within us, he says. We cannot make ourselves love God. But this new affection arises because God implants it in us. Listen to this. It says, It is one thing to change what a man believes, but it is another thing to change what he loves. We can change what we believe, but it's very hard to change what we love. Edward said that if a bad man is to be made good, he must turn from his love of evil to a new love for God. True conversion reaches down to what he called the affections. Affections are not emotions. Listen to what he said. Emotions change. But what we hate and what we love are for the most part constant. Listen to what he wrote. All true believers have a God-implanted love for Christ. So if you want a certainty of the work, Ask yourself, where does my love lie? Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him 
and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. One writer said, only God can cause us to love someone that we have never seen. And so the certainty of the work is our love for God. So let me ask you as we come to a close, can you say this this morning? Yes, I do love the Lord Jesus Christ with a fervent love. I have a hunger to know his word. Can we say that? Can we also say, my heart longs to please him, and it grieves me to think of disobeying his command. My delight is to live for him. Whatever he brings into my life, I know he is using it to conform me to the image of Christ. Can we say that this morning? And if this does describe you, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, then there is evidence in your life, there is certainty that God has begun a work in you, that he has begun a good work in you. And I want you to hear it again. God's not done with you. Tell your neighbor again, God's not done with you. He's not done with us, ladies and gentlemen. He's still working in our lives, and that should bring us hope. We're not perfect, or at least not yet. And I pray that each one of us here this morning can join the great Apostle Paul in saying, I am confident of this, that God has began a good work in me and will carry on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Stand to your feet with me as Pastor Tanya comes and leads us again. And as we go back to song, I want you to remember, God's not done yet. He's still working, and he's still moving, and he's moving in your life. Amen.
still moving and working today. And Lord, open our eyes to that reality and open our hearts to receive your good work. And Lord, as we leave here today, I do pray for traveling mercies. And Lord, help us to leave here rejoicing, knowing that you are working in our lives. And it's in your glorious and holy name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Hope you guys have a great week. Thank you.